Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you not only loved us and saved us, but you've counseled us to grow in you. And Lord, we pray that what you've begun, the work you've begun in us, Lord, you would complete it. And even what your servant Paul is conveying here this morning, that we would grow in this grace that has saved us, that we'd put off the works of darkness and put on the righteousness, and we do it in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, um, you know, we looked at uh, this, these marks of a healthy church. We've looked at the unity, just so you can see here. One second. There we go. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is what we're looking at today. But if you looked at the last couple of weeks, we looked at the unity that God wants to bring through humility. And that was found in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Then we looked at the fact that uh, God gives to the body of Christ not only this grace for salvation, but he gives us a grace that is, enables us to do the work of ministry. Because ministry is hard. Ministering means pouring yourself out. And so you'll get tired. You'll get irritated. People will step on your toes. Sometimes, believe it or not, people don't even say thank you for all of your hard work. The teachers over there can tell you that. You know, by the way, parents, say thank you to the teachers every time. Just appreciate the work they're doing. But again, God gives grace for ministry that we would actually have perseverance. But he also gives, he gives us spiritual gifts. And he gives giftings to certain people. The apostles, we talked about, there was not a slew of apostles. There was 12 in the truest sense of the apostolic mantle was given by Jesus. They even had some of the signs and wonders, and they were the 12, and they will sit on 12 thrones according to Jesus, which he mentioned, and is also in the book of Revelation. So the 12 apostles and then the prophets that wrote the scriptures, the foundation that uh, Paul talks about that in chapter 2, all the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So the Lord has given giftings to the apostles, who laid this foundation, wrote scriptures, and some of the understudies that were with them, prophets, and then evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And so pastors and teachers are usually one and the same, but you can have someone who is a teacher 
maybe an author but not a pastor, but then you have uh, evangelists too, and you think of like uh, Billy Graham or Greg Laurie or Billy Sunday in the, in the history of church, you know, different men that had a gifting from the Lord as evangelists. And we see some of those evangelists uh, in the book of Acts as well. So there was those, those gifts. But then there's also the spiritual gifts that, uh, that are given to the church. And you have gifts that I don't have, and I have gifts that you don't have, and some of us have the same gifts, and we're a force multiplier together. And so God uses all of those things. And we looked at those things in verses 7 through 16, and then we talked about uh, the fact that in the next uh, several verses, uh, Paul reminds the church that God's done this whole new work in us. You're not the person you used to be. You're a new creation. Earlier this week, I posted on Facebook a picture of me in 1991 with a mullet. Some of you saw it. Some of you said I should bring it back. I know you weren't serious, but anyway, some of you said it. Which I just saw yesterday. The coach for the Oklahoma State football team has a new mullet. I was like, well, maybe it is coming back. So, but I'm not bringing it back. But anyway, I'm not different just because I no longer have that 90s, you know, little curly thing going on in the back here. I'm not different because of that. We're different because the Lord has made us different inside. Amen? Now, that probably gave me the wisdom to cut it off, but that has nothing to do with the fact that the Lord uh, has given us a new view of the world through the eyes of Jesus. So even when I see people that I know are out of their mind, the first thing I want to do is say, lock them up. Then the Lord says, pray that they're saved. Right? And yes, for the protection of society, God's given governments and things like that, but he's given us something greater, and that is the new life of Christ inside of us, that we can touch lives simply by speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, you and I, uh, our new life is a testimony to the power of the gospel. When people see us, they say, yeah, I remember you when. And they can remember the way you used to be or the fact that you was, used to, boy, if someone crossed, you'd cuss them out and dare them to say something back, right? But you've been changed. You've been transformed. And we looked at this in verses 17 through 24 that we're to be renewed in spirit and mind and all of the, the past lust that we led, lived by and all those things that, that kind of drove us, uh, the sensual passions of life and the pride of this world that John talks about uh, because ego is in all of us and lust is in all of us and anger is in all of us. And so Jesus says, I come and I give you a new heart. He makes us into this new man, a new woman, with a new walk. And we now, at verse, uh, uh, verse 20 in chapter 4, but you have not so learned in Christ. Uh, we've been made disciples. We've been made apprentices to now take what God has done on the inside and then apply it daily to continue to grow, continue to grow. You know, when you plant a tree, it's already alive. If, if you plant it and there's green leaves on it, you plant it. But it still needs to grow, doesn't it? And that's what God's done with us. We might have been a dead tree. All of a sudden, we're living. But we're still a little tiny tree when we first get saved. And so this kind of continues the thought uh, in these next uh, few verses, verses 25 to 32, of what the Lord has begun in us. Now, that beginning work has to be continued, has to be uh, fulfilled in our life. You know, George Whitfield. He was a great man of God, but he talks about the fact that 
uh, when we first get saved, God begins building a new house with us. But he also said that the old house has to be torn down, and that takes effort, doesn't it? When the new house is going up and the old house is being torn down, that's going to take some time. This is a process that we'll be looking at, verses 25 through 32. Um, it, another way to kind of look at it is if, if you were in shackles before being saved, and all of us were, Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. But you don't always feel free, do you? Be honest. There's times when you still don't feel free. There's times when I still don't feel free. There's times where I don't have peace in my mind. How about you? Am I the only one? I'm, a, I'm saved, aren't I? Yes, saved, but sometimes you still feel shackles. Sometimes you still feel a strong inclination for sins you thought you would be over long by now. Right? You thought, I, I, I should never even have even the remotest thought or inclination of that, and you still would. Why? Because even though you have the Holy Spirit living inside, you still have a sin nature. But at the same time, Jesus said, I've set you free. So which is true? Are we, are we really free or are we not free? Well, we really are free, but we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. We have to yield to the to the Spirit of God inside of us. So if we had shackles, and let's say you have, you've seen pictures of people in shackles, neck, wrist, feet. If Jesus unlocked each one, we know when you start first walk, if you don't physically pull them off, they're still there, aren't they? But they're, they don't have to be there. You've been, the, the lock has been taken off, but they're still there. You have to take them off. And for whatever reason, God and part of our sanctification process, not our salvation. Our salvation is once God has saved you, he'll never toss you back out. You'd have to say, hey, I don't want this salvation. But and I can't imagine anyone truly born again. I don't really want to be born again after all. If you're born again, your name is, the Bible says, written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So Jesus said, I've saved you. Now I've unlocked the shackle to the neck, the shackles to the arm, shackles to the feet. But guess what? I'm asking you now to take them off and start walking. That's going to take some intentionality, right? All right, start taking this off. I don't believe they're really unlocked, so I'm not even going to mess with them. Well, then you're going to still feel them for a long time, right? You've got to start to walk this out. And so he begins, and if you're taking notes, you can see uh, the title of our time of the Word this morning, Yielding to the Holy Spirit. Marks of a Healthy Church, Part 4, because I believe that God definitely wants this church filled with the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 25, if you're taking notes, the first thing we'll look at this morning is yielding in purity. Yielding in purities. Look at verse 25 through 27. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When you think about uh, lying, um, lying and stealing, um, well, we'll get to stealing in a second, but let's, let's look at lying first. Lying is so common to all of us. You know, if, if we think we've been offended, if we think it's going to help 
our situation. There's little white lies, something to cover things up. Uh, no one has to teach a person to lie. It's just in us from the day we're born. Kids can do it. Hey, are you touching that? Hand goes by. You know, you've seen all the Pinterest pictures and stuff like that, like flowers all over their face. Did you get into the cookie? No, no. You know, it's that, the donut just crumbled there. Uh, they're, not, they're not good enough liars yet. That's all. Later, they'll get skilled in this, and they'll know how to hide their tracks and all these things. But we're not to, we're not to lie anymore. A lot of people say, well, you know, I, I, don't really, I don't really lie. And then if God were to follow them, I would say, really? Let's see how you answered that police officer. Did you see the sign that said 55? No, I didn't see it. In their mind, they know they saw it. Now, there's times, there was one time that I got pulled, and I really didn't see the sign go down. But every other time in my life, I did see. Is that, but I haven't had a ticket in like seven years. But when I was younger, I got one in every state from Florida to Maryland. I'm not kidding. <laughs> every state and every time, I was angry at the police officer because they were wrong and I was right. And I would, I would have an excuse or a little bit of a lie every time. And I really justified every one of them that I said. But I was always, now I look back, I'm like, that was a lie, that was a lie, that was a lie. And never did I get away with it anyway. We um, don't have to be taught these things. But we do, now that we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, you can't, you can't do that now. You're going to have to deal with the consequences. And the more we're willing to deal with the consequences, say, Lord, help me by your Spirit to say the truth, to say the right thing, to speak words that are honest. He says, let not, uh, each of you speak truth with his neighbor for we're members one another. I, your brothers and sisters do not want to be lied to, right? We want the truth. Now, the more we walk in the truth, the more that we'll actually do the right things in advance so we don't have to have excuses and lies. That makes sense? When we start taking serious, say, you know what? I need to be ready and prepared and do the things that God's asked me to do. So if something goes wrong, it's simply something that was out of my hands, not something that was my fault, and then I feel like I have to lie about it. That makes sense? So it actually purifies our life to start to say, Lord, let me walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me to do the things, pray as I'm supposed to, get into your word, if you, you know, if you have a ministry or a job, do the right preparation. And some things will still go wrong. But we won't, have to, we won't have to have this feeling of lying because we've truly done our best. When we give our best to God, we're in pretty good hands to just be truthful, right? But when we don't give our best, well, then we've got we've to cut a lot of corners, don't we? We've got to hide things. And he says, you can't live that way anymore. We're members of one another. We actually serve one another out of love for one another. We actually tell the truth uh, because we wouldn't want other people lying to us. And Jesus, has Jesus ever lied to us? No, he was the model of always truth. But the truth has to be spoke, spoken in love. We'll get to that because Paul gets the other things. It's not like you come up and say, hey, your shoes are ugly. It's just my opinion, but I'm telling you the truth, right? We'll get to that. That's not... That's not truth and that's not love. That's uh, you know, covered in the last uh, three verses here. 
He says in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Um, the philosophy many people live with, I don't get mad, I get even, is, is something many people take great pride in that statement. They're very proud of that's their demeanor. I don't, I don't take any slack off anybody. I don't turn the other cheek, blah, 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 whatever it is. Be angry and do not sin. There is some things to get angry about. I get, I, I get angry about certain sins that are cascading all over our country, that are destructive to children, that are destructive to the unborn, the racism we talked about, uh, we prayed about, these kind of things. I can have a righteous anger about those things, but those aren't the kind of things that I have to worry about going to bed. I, I'm already with the heart of God on those things. But if I'm angry about something that's not that important, I need to make that right before I go to bed. Husbands and wives, God is speaking to you, right? You can be mad about the dumbest of things, right? And it starts to affect your spiritual walk. You're not, then all of a sudden, you're so irritated, you don't feel like praying. And if you don't feel like praying, guess what? You drift a little bit more. And now it's not just anger, but you have other sins that will start to creep in your life. So whatever it is with our brothers and sisters, uh, it's never comfortable but, you know, when we've actually gotten out of line, we need to make it right. And you don't have to make big fan, but just go one-on-one -on -one to that person and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, or whatever it is, and we're going to look at some of that last couple of verses. Uh, but the point is, in anything, whether it is small sins of lying, little bit of anger, verse 27, he says, don't give any place to the devil. How much of a crack of sin does Satan need in your and my life? Not much at all. Not much at all. You know, you can be, uh, you know, say, I'm just going to glance at this. Speak to some of the men. I'm just going to glance at this. A glance can become full-blown addiction at some point in time. Just a glance. Well, I'm just going to watch this. I'm just going to say this. And you've quenched the Holy Spirit. And now you become a little bit harder in your heart. A little bit of a crack. I have a right to be angry. And I'm going to walk in it for three full days until I get it out of my system. Where is that verse? <laughs> I'm going to get it out of my system? I hear people say stuff like that. And I, I'm glad to tell them, say, I understand that your flesh may feel that, but can you justify that anywhere in Scripture? Well, no, but... Well, no but is when we say, Lord, forgive me. Turn me around. Do a 180 in my heart. There's no, you don't get sin out of your system by just walking around it for a few days. That's how you walk in it for 40 years, ask the Israelites, right? If they were repented, they would have been in the promised land long before. And you and I will continue to wander in circles if we think, well, I just, I'm just going to give a little crack to this. And I, I have a right to this feeling. I have a right to this, you know, whatever I want to do. I have a right to whatever I want to. No, we don't even belong to ourselves anymore. We now belong to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, we say, the feelings might be strong. The desires might be strong. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit not only gives us power. Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper. And you'll be glad that I sent him. The Holy Spirit not only gives us power to walk through things, but he also reminds us of things, strong things, like 
In Matthew, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, neither will I forgive you. Ouch! Sometimes I need a firm word from God. How about you? And guess where it comes from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds me of a verse, reminds me, hey, 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 you've read in Philippians, you've read in Romans, you've read, what did I say there? And it corrects our thinking. Just like, again, to go back to me and my formerly rebellious driving, right? The speedometer is there to teach me, oh, that little red thing goes here, you've gone, pull it back, right? The Holy Spirit in us is constantly a speedometer saying, you can't walk that way. No, you can't respond with that email. But I want to. Yeah. And you're going to have major consequences if you do. Not only that, you're going to hurt someone who you didn't even have all the facts. Had you fully understood what was going on, you didn't know that they were sick. They didn't let you down. Whatever it is, right? All kinds of things. We don't even have all the information. The Holy Spirit speaks to us not to give even an inch to the devil. You know, Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness by who? Satan himself. Not some low-level demon. Satan himself. He never yielded. And every time Satan had a temptation, what did he respond with? Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. You and I need to respond to our own doubts, our own fears, our own temptations with Scripture. Just say, it's written. You can talk to yourself, by the way. You're not, you're not weird when you do that. You're actually preaching to yourself. The Scriptures remind us it's important to speak truth even to ourselves. But then we talk to God. Say, Lord, your verse says, your word says that I, you've hidden this in my heart that I will not sin against you. Will you help keep that? And he says, yes, I've given you the Holy Spirit indwelling to do it. Let's look at the next. We, we need to be yielding to the Spirit in purity. Next, in verses 28 and 29, yielding in purpose, not yielding on purpose, although that would actually fit as well, because we are yielding on purpose, but we're yielding in purpose. What do I mean by that? God has given us a purposed life, a life that is to what? Glorify Him, be conformed to the image of Jesus, and touch other people that don't yet know Jesus. Does that make sense? It's pretty simple. To glorify God, you're in my life should not bring glory to us. That was our before Christ day. Everything we did was always bring glory about, look, you know, look at me, look at me. Aren't I amazing? No, now we say, look at Jesus. Isn't he amazing? Isn't his grace amazing? So it's to glorify God and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And by the way, when you're conformed to the image of Jesus, you get to die to yourself. He went to a cross. It doesn't mean you get exalted. You actually come lower. You become humbled in the Lord. And then thirdly, our life is to be used to touch other people, to have an impact for people that are hurting, that are lost, that are in pain, that are in depression, that are in addictions, that are in hatred, violence, whatever it may be. Our team is going in uh, tonight to, to visit these incarcerated youth. Many of these kids have seen the worst of this world their whole life. They've seen their parents murdered. They've seen drug deals their whole life. Some of them, I've, I told you, I've talked to kids there that started doing drugs at the age of seven. And so it's not just about us. It's about touching other people too. Amen? If we don't go, who's going to go? And so this is what he's saying. He starts in verse 28. Let him who, steal, uh, him who stole steal no longer. And by the way, at this time in Asia Minor, 
historians tell us that stealing was pretty common, especially if you had seasonal work and you couldn't find uh, seasonal work. It was very common for people just, uh, just to steal. Some of the road, remember that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan? And that, that was actually going downhill there. Uh, that road was so dangerous, they called it kind of a, a channel of blood because people would be beaten and robbed on a regular basis. And you can almost understand why a Levite or a priest doesn't want to stop because it's a pretty dangerous area. But this, now that was down in, that was down in what would be uh, Judea, but we're talking about Asia Minor, uh, you know, where Turkey is, over into Greece and those areas, but Ephesus and Asia, Asia Minor. Stealing was, was not that uncommon for people that didn't know the Lord and hadn't been saved. But Paul said, you can't live that way anymore. You now have to live by faith. You have to trust that God's going to provide for you. So we, you can't steal. God will take care of did he, did, did he take care of Abraham? Did he take care of Isaac? Jacob? Did he take care of the apostles? Yes, he'll take care of us. So we have to trust him. And he says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give uh, to him who has need. This is um, a process and I want to break this down a little bit so you can kind of see. Uh, just verse 28, we actually see a chain of new behaviors linked together. Look at it uh, in, in its totality, starting, let him who steal, steal no longer. If you were to ask a bunch of Christians, say, hey, if someone used to be an international jewelry or diamond thief, and they were one of the best on the planet. Which, by the way, Hollywood loves to glamorize. You ever heard this movie, Ocean's 11? Then Ocean's 12? Then Ocean's 13? And who knows, it'll be Ocean's 28 before, you know, 2050 or something like that. Because people can't get enough of, man, isn't it fun to watch people who are really good at stealing? They're so brilliant at it. And, well, of course, the casinos, well, they, they're not the cleanest dudes on the, on the block, so they deserve to get stolen from, so it, then we can kind of justify all of this, right? Remember what I said, give college students three choices, many of them, what's most dangerous? Hollywood, drug cartels or the Bible, they'll say the Bible, because God wants to suppress all our fun. But Hollywood will magnify, and isn't it amazing, we've got an all-star cast of stealers, Right? <laughs> that are going to amaze you, and, and they're going to do the most amazing heist. And I, I've never seen the movie, for those of you that have. I mean, I'm not condemning that. I'm just simply saying that this is the magnification that the world has for something, where Jesus would actually come to all of the Ocean's Eleven team and say, you guys need to come to faith in Christ and start working with your hands, not figuring out a way to steal from the casino. But the casino, well, they need to get saved too, but that's a whole different... That's why I said the gospel's for everybody, Right? For, for both groups. And if you said, well, if they got saved, what would, be, what would be the new way that God would want them to walk? You would say, well, God doesn't want them to steal anymore. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of the verse. Let him who steals steal no longer. That's just the first point. If you were formerly uh, in a violent gang, you're not going to do that anymore, right? But now what are you going to replace your life with? What's going to be the replacement? Let him steal, steal, but rather let him labor. But that's not all it says. Working with his hand what is good 
But that's not all it says either, that he may have something to give to him who has needs. So let's take a look at what this looks like if it was chapters in your Christian life. Chapter 1, God says, all right, brand new convert, I'm planting the tree, you're building the new house, you're tearing down the old house. Number one, no more stealing. Holy Spirit will continue to remind you, but I'm really good at it. You can't pickpocket anymore. Hey, I could pickpocket 10 people in Times Square before they even knew that I'd walked past them. You can't do it anymore. What am I supposed to do? The Holy Spirit says, now you're going to learn to work hard. You know, work was never a curse in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were, were supposed to tend the garden. The sweat and the toil and the thorns, all that came with the, with the impact of sin. But uh, we're all going to work. You know, in heaven, we're going to serve the Lord. Serve. We're going to serve the Lord. And it won't be burdensome. It will be glorious. But we learn to work. And we actually find the value in work. So the person says, all right, A, I'm not going to steal. B, the Holy Spirit's reminding me, now I have to work. Work in a worthy way and honorably to the point that not only are you working hard, but you're the kind of person that they can promote, that they can put over other people, that actually they can trust. You have a trustworthiness to your work. You're not the, you're not the last one to walk onto the clock. You didn't just work, but you actually have an honor in your work, an ethic that comes from the Lord. And so that's just phase one. If you look at phase two, then you've got to learn to save. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. It was John, I think it was John Bunyan that said that, but don't hold me to that. But um, so then you, you, have, you have this... Uh, Understanding that you know I can't I can't just kind of spend to my flesh always spending to my flesh learn to save but why are we learning to save you might have thought that it was to get more cool stuff for your house you might have thought that it's so you can have a brand new car every two years you might have thought it was so you could have better vacations and better vacations and better vacations and better vacations and better vacations. And better and just keep climbing until you, you can amaze your neighbors with, where did we do, where, what did we do now? No. Look what he says. Look at the Bible. Look at your text. That he may rather labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who, him who has need. God says, ultimately, I saved you to teach you to become a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus gave his time. He became poor, so we would become rich, the scriptures say, rich spiritually. He gave his time. He gave his blood. He gave his sweat. He gave his hours. You know, I've seen people that will write checks that will not give any time to God, and God's not impressed. Not impressed at all. If you can write checks, but you can't give your time, you've not learned to be a giver. If you can't give at all, well, that's a problem, too. Um, Jonathan Edwards, he, wrote, he preached that famous message, sinners in the hand of an angry God. People gripped their seats uh, with conviction, and many came to faith in Christ that day. But he also preached a sermon once on the duties of Christian charity. And he outlined 11 excuses that Christians make. And when you read them today, you're like, how did he see into 2017? 
They're the same ones we have today. I think it was number four on the list where he says, uh, Christians will say, well, I can't give to this person because they're not yet in desperate need. By the way, he has tons of scriptures for all 11 things. Like um, in that one, he talks about the fact that uh, we're to love our neighbor as our self. He says, when's the last time you only helped yourself when you were in desperate need? You only help yourself when you're in desperate need? I don't. And he says, when you see someone who has a real need, it may not be a desperate need, but it's a real need. And James talked about this. You know, the book of Galatians is all about grace, but the book of James is all about works because real faith produces genuine works. And so James comes along. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, you say you have works, and you see your brother in need and say, eh, that's not a desperate need. I mean, they don't have shoes, but they have flip-flops. That's good enough. Meanwhile, you have 20 pairs of shoes. And God will someday hold us accountable. Matthew chapter 25. Read it, read it, read it, read it. And by the way, that's one of the premises of Jonathan Edwards' message is that one of the highest duties of every Christian is to give to those in need. And he says, and yet most Christians don't know it and they're going to be in bad straits when they face Jesus on Judgment Day when he says, why did you never give a cup of water in my name? Why did you not help these people? Well, I didn't think they were in desperate need. And Jesus says, who defined desperate, you or me? Amen? And so he says, I want you to learn to give, that you'd be generous givers, cheerful givers. We'll say, well, I don't have much to give. Paul wrote about the Macedonians and said the fact that they gave, even when they didn't have anything to give, they gave anyway. What? Why? Because that's what? Faith. How in the world does Abraham lay down Isaac? The only son he was given. God says, give it right back. That makes no sense to our minds, does it? And yet God says, now that I saw you're willing to give it, I'm not only not going to kill Isaac, but I'm going to make a great nation out of you. When you and I start to become generous, giving, generous givers, we're going to see 10 times more people saved. We're going to see prayer meetings grow because the generosity will be out of gratitude to Jesus. Jonathan Edwards was right way back when. It's still true today. Now look at the next passage. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, it may impart grace to the hearers. We're not only to, when we get saved... Looking at this uh, passage here, uh, no longer to say corrupt things, no longer to say things that are uh, off color, things that are slander, things that are gossip. But as we grow in the Lord, we not only stop saying the things we used to say, but we start to say we become a person who really builds people up. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert or an in-the-middle-vert, whatever that is. <laughs> doesn't matter who you are. Jesus does not say to some, hey, you're supposed to build people up, but you don't have to have any part of that. That's not your calling. We're all called to speak words of necessary edification. You know, it's still true. If you don't have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. That's true. But God wants to take us beyond saying nothing at all and being an encourager. Encourage as many people as you can. Text people and say, I'm praying for you. Ask someone. You know, you know how you know how to pray for people? You ask them, how can I be praying for you? 
Do you know just asking that question lifts people's spirits? Because they think, wow, somebody cares about my problems. Somebody cares about what I'm going through. And you don't have to tell every detail. You can tell what you're comfortable with at the time. You can say, hey, just pray for my mind's not right right now. Pray for me. My job situation is rough. Uh, uh, you know, things in marriage are I'm working with. We're trying to figure this out with a toddler. Join the club. We all went through that, right? But they're serious to the person. So you say, hey, how can I be praying for you? That's words of encouragement. That's edification. That's imparting grace. Jesus is interceding for us. We're to intercede for other people. And this is growing. Wouldn't you say that this is a new... Uh, well, I used to say a bunch of filthy things. I don't say filthy things anymore. Now what do you say? I don't say anything. So I don't mess up. I could never preach. I've messed up up here before. And you know, last week I meant to say something and it came out wrong. But that's okay because God looks at our hearts, Right? And by the way, when people know your hearts, they'll know when you've not said something quite perfect because they know you and they know your heart. And you'll be, you'll be able to impart grace and edification and more people will open up to you speaking into their life. Last one this morning. Yielding in peace as we close up this passage in verse uh, 30 through 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil uh, speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That last verse is awesome, isn't it? Even as Christ forgave you. Paul's reminding them, said, don't forget, for all of your flaws and all of my flaws, Jesus is overlooking them because of the blood. Even as I was, I was in prayer and I went for a, a prayer walk after I was, I spent some time in prayer and then I went for a prayer walk because I, I, I don't run on Sundays and like I said, I'm still rehabbing uh, anyway, but I went for a prayer walk and, and I just, the thought came into my head, I said, God, you could send someone else other than me today to preach. And I, it was a sincere thought. It wasn't, there was no, it was a sincere thought because I'm like, Lord, you know, and I love the Lord, but I'm like, Lord, you know that. I got this flaw and this flaw and this flaw. And, and God, you know what God says to me and says to you? You're all I got to work with. <laughs> On planet Earth, you're not any better option than I am, and I'm not any better option than you are. It's just whoever God chooses to say, all right, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be a mom. He didn't make me a woman. He didn't make me, a, I'm, I'm never going to walk around like my wife did three times. That's not going to happen. Even though the Danny DeVito thing, at, at, or Charles Schwarzenegger, that, it's done in Hollywood, but it's not really, in, not real. God's made you to be you, but even as you and I were created exactly the way God wanted us to be, and all the things that we would change about ourselves, this much taller, this, you know, all these kind of things, God says, this is how I made you, and you're all I've got to work with. And you study the men of Scripture, and you realize how flawed they were, and you're like, man, I think I could have found someone better than Jacob, right? When you read it, you're like, but then God does great works through them, right? You see David, and you say, well, he's got to be perfect. But all of a sudden, he hits this patch where he's not so perfect, right? And you read about Paul, and, he, and you read about Peter, and there's a time where Peter wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles. And I'm not having lunch with you guys because, well, everyone else is watching me. 
You're like, how does a spiritual giant like Peter have a moment like that, right? But the thing is, God says, because of grace, he can use anyone, right? Because of grace. But now, with grace becomes humility that we actually keep going back to the altar and the mercy and say, Lord, cover me, cleanse me, help me. And that's where you actually grow in life. We talked about this last week. Remember, your growth pattern is not a straight line. It's like this interceding circles, because you kind of take some steps backwards to go three steps forward in, in our life, because you'll look at this and say, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. Have you ever grieved the Holy Spirit? We all have. We've grieved the Holy Spirit. We said, I, I am never going to say another crossword ever again. Two days later, what in the world are you doing? And then, you, then as a parent, you're like, well, if God said that to me, I would have been fried by now. So, you know, that... Because we realize that we're guilty of these things. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger. So you start to press into the Holy Spirit. And you say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And guess what the Holy Spirit says? I'm glad you asked. I think it was C.S. Lewis. He said, God's not bothered by people who keep asking him for help. He's bothered with those that never ask for help. You and I asking the Holy Spirit for help say, Lord, I need the help of the Spirit. I don't mind admitting to you that there's no way I could preach on a Sunday morning if I didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit. You don't know this, but I forgot my notes this morning. I'm telling you right now. So I'm doing all, look, I, I'm sitting here praying. At the beginning. I'm like, all right, this is going to, I don't. I was so wrapped up in several other things this morning that they're sitting on my kitchen table. That's where they're at. Say, Lord, you're going to have to help me remember whatever you want me to say. It better. Now, I had a bunch of it. You, when, you, when you prepare and you know what, but the rest of it, exactly how it goes, it has to be the Lord. He's done that to me twice this uh, last couple weeks, but for whatever reason, <laughs> we have to, the Bible says to be ready to give an answer to every man, the reason for the hope that lies within us. How can you possibly be ready if you don't have the Holy Spirit? You have to have the Holy Spirit because there's situations coming in your life that you will not have been prepared for, and the Holy Spirit is prepared because God's already in the future. Isn't that great to know? He'll tell you what to say. He even said to the disciples, he goes, the day will come when I will tell you in that hour what to speak. But that's only for people that are walking in the Spirit, that are yielding to the Spirit. And as we yield to the Spirit, we say, Lord, I have a problem with bitterness. Help me dissolve that. And he will. Anger, clamor, put it away from you. And then the Spirit will remind you, as I've been kind to you, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave you. What a blessing when people forgive us. Amen? So we should be very forgiving for other people. Well, what if they don't forgive me? That doesn't matter. Our calling is still to forgive. What if they never forgive me? Doesn't matter. Many people hated Jesus right up until the last nail was driven into his hands. And he said what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Right? They don't know what they're doing. And you, have, you and I have to have a compassion of people that don't know Christ. We've got to forgive them anyway. And if they do know Christ, we can, we can be pretty confident that if we would walk in forgiveness, God will speak to them and soften them and fix those things up. And as a church... We will be healthy and flourish when we forgive one another. If you think right now and say, uh, well, so-and-so gave me some feedback. And I didn't enjoy the feedback. 
right? None of us really like, usually when some, I've got a little feedback. You know, it's, usually you bristle, you kind of, hold on, let me put some armor on. All right, now, give me the feedback, right? But at the same time, the Lord says, if you can be humble and forgiving, you actually, over time, they'll be convicted and they'll, they'll change the way that they're speaking. I've seen it happen many times. They'll grow in the Lord too because your maturity will actually uh, impact them. Uh, you, you know, God wants everyone here to grow as a leader in, in your home, as a mom, as a grandmother, as a parent. As a, as, and the more that you have a tender heart and forgiving, people will respond to that over time. But it doesn't happen in a day, just like that tree. It, the tree does not become a big oak tree overnight. You have to continually water that with the Holy Spirit. Be in the Word, asking the Spirit for help, and God will bring it about. Amen? If we walk in these things, think about it. Individually, we'll be healthy. Collectively, 140, 150, 160 adults, collectively watering one another or, you know, kind of shading the truth, no longer being grudgingly, but seeing needs. Back to um, this, uh, this one passage when he says that he may have something to give to him who has need. You won't give the needs until you see needs, but you won't see needs unless the Holy Spirit reveals needs. This church is actually pretty generous in many respects, but our generosity will be exponential when the Holy Spirit says, this person, this person, they see the needs, and they don't need someone else to see the need. They see the need, and they fill the need. And that's when God takes and multiplies the impact of the body of Christ. And as we all forgive one another, and we all have this tender heart and humility, remembering that Christ has forgiven us, uh, he'll do a great and amazing work in our healthy individual, but our healthy collective. Amen? Let's close in prayer.